not. So we'll see how long this takes. But Philemon, um, short book, and uh, several, maybe a couple months ago, we kind of, I kind of introduced the book to you guys. Um, but anyway, uh, kind of a different book because Paul is writing to a friend. He's not writing to a church. He's not writing to correct any doctrinal issues. Um, really, in a lot of ways, he's not even writing to teach any kind of doctrine. He is writing pretty much to ask a friend for a favor. And so the book ends up being a little bit different. But tonight, I just want to look at Paul's greeting to these believers in Philemon, verses 1, 2, and 3. So if you'll look at it, the Bible says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray real quick. And uh, we'll look at two things tonight. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this little book, Philemon. Thank you for Philemon's testimony. Lord, I just pray that this would be an encouragement and a help to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing I want you to think about tonight in this greeting is the epitaph of teamwork. Now, you say, an epitaph? Yeah, an epitaph. Now, what's an epitaph? That is usually some kind of saying or something that we put on a tombstone or a headstone in a graveyard, something to remember about somebody. Now, my wife asked me this afternoon, she said, yeah, but when Paul wrote this, these people were alive. Yeah, I know they were alive, but they're dead today. And what do we have to remember about these people that Paul lists in, these, in the first two verses? We just have something real quick and short. My dad's tombstone in Phoenix, Arizona says Semper Fi. Now, if you are a fan of the Marine Corps or if you were ever a Marine, you would know that that means always faithful. And we picked that because my dad was, my dad was a Marine, and he, he was faithful to the Marine Corps. But also, my dad was a family man, and my dad was faithful to his local church. And so that's what we put on his, on his headstone, Semper Fi, always faithful. And so here we have just a brief glimpse at these Christian believers that Paul worked with, that Paul served with. And so real quick, I want to go through each one of these and look at these people that Paul worked with. And that's why I call it an epitaph of teamwork. So notice verse one. The first person you have is Paul. And it says, Paul, a prisoner. Now, I don't know if you like to walk through old graveyards or old cemeteries and look at tombs, uh, headstones and see the dates and see what was said of people. I find that a little interesting. That's kind of fun. If you ever go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they actually charge you to go into the cemetery and look at the, gra the grave of Benjamin Franklin. You have to pay to go into the cemetery, um, which I think is kind of a horrible thing. But anyway, um, I think that is kind of interesting. But notice here what it says about Paul, a prisoner. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were walking through a cemetery and you looked at a headstone and it said, you know, the, the, the man or the woman's name, and then it had the dates, but then it said prisoner, what would you think? What would you think about that person? What'd they do? What were they guilty of? What happened? I mean, think about all the thoughts that would go through your mind. And here, the glimpse we have about Paul is that he was a prisoner. He was a prisoner. Now, he wasn't a prisoner of um, 
of, uh, oh, what's the island in San Francisco? Um, now I, what is it? Alcatraz. His tombstone doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of Alcatraz. It doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of Riker Island. It says Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And here's the one thing I really want you to think about in this. When, it, when he claims to be a prisoner, what Paul is saying is, is I am guilty of giving up my rights to the obedience of Jesus Christ. In other words, I have said no to myself, I have resigned myself, and I will do whatever it is Jesus Christ tells me to do. And here's the neat thing about it. Notice he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. What Paul has done is he has left the door open. Any one of us can be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. We can surrender ourselves to his will, to what he wants, and let him have his will and his way in our lives. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. Now remember that word, our. We're going to see it four times. We're going to see it four times. But here he refers to Timothy as our brother, as, as a sibling, as, as somebody that we serve with, as somebody that is dear to us, a brother. But now notice in verse number one again, he says, unto Philemon, our, there's the word our again, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now here, here we find the man that the, bike is, or that the book is named after, Philemon. And first of all, he's called dearly beloved. This means he was dear to Paul. He was special. There was a relationship there. Um, there was a love there. There was a fondness there. They, he had a fondness for Philemon. But notice the next thing he says about Philemon. He says, our fellow laborer. Now, if you have a job, you, have, pro you probably have coworkers. Here's the thing about coworkers. You've probably had a coworker who was not much of a fellow laborer. Maybe they had the job, but they didn't necessarily do a whole lot at the job. You probably worked with people like that. This wasn't Philemon. He was a fellow laborer. It literally means he was alongside his church members, Paul, his pastor, and he was laboring. Literally, they were sweating together. They were digging the ditch together. They were laboring together. And that's what, that's what Philemon was. Philemon was a fellow laborer. He was busy about the ministry. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't in the ministry, but he was busy about working in the ministry. He was busy about helping in the ministry. And so that's the memory that Paul has of Philemon, that he was a fellow laborer. I, I, today I was, thinking about, I was thinking about our ushers and our security people. I was thinking about our deacons. I was thinking about the people that help with QAM. I was thinking about the people that teach Sunday school. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Miss Carmelita, who every month sends out birthday cards. And you know what you are? You are a fellow laborer. Right alongside everybody else, sweating, participating, putting effort and your life into serving God. And that is an awesome thing. And that was Philemon. Philemon was a fellow laborer. And now we get into verse 2, and here we find a lady, and it says, and to our beloved Apphia. 
Now, it is commonly believed that Apphia was more than likely Philemon's wife. We can't prove that. This is the only time she's mentioned in the Bible. We don't know a whole lot about her, but a lot of people believe that she was Philemon's wife. Now, here's the thing. She is referred to as dearly beloved. You know, there are a select few women in the Bible that Paul mentions by name. There are not a lot. There's just a handful of women that he mentions. But here's the interesting thing. Every lady that Paul mentions in the Bible was somebody that he served with, somebody that met his need, somebody that served right alongside him in the ministry, somebody that he knew in in a local church. All of them busy about the ministry. And I was thinking about Apphia, and I wonder, and and it doesn't tell us this, but I just wonder if maybe she was right there just like her husband, and she was a fellow laborer, serving, participating, uh, being a blessing, helping in the church, helping serve God's people, reaching out to the lost, whatever it was, but serving just like her husband right there in the church at Colossae. I don't know, can't prove it, but I wonder if she too was serving right alongside her husband. And then you have a man by the name of Archippus. And notice what it says about Archippus. It says, our fellow soldier. Our fellow soldier. This word's similar to the fellow laborer, but instead of being a fellow laborer, he's called a fellow soldier. More than likely, Archippus was the pastor at the church in Colossae. If you were to go to Colossians chapter 4 and look at verse 17, you would find there that he is mentioned, and Paul tells him to perform the ministry that he was given. So it is commonly believed that Archippus was possibly the pastor there at the church in in Colossae. Now here's the interesting thing. He is referred to as a fellow soldier. The word fellow soldier literally means one that is in the trenches. It is one who is fighting alongside you. This is not somebody that's back behind the lines giving orders. This is not necessarily somebody who's, who's cowering behind a wall telling everybody else what to do or radioing ahead. No, no, this is somebody who is on the front line. They are next to you in the trench, and they are fighting right alongside of you. And that was Archippus. Now, Paul, being an apostle, he was a preacher. And now Archippus, he too is a pastor, a preacher there at Colossae. But he is a fellow soldier fighting for the cause of Christ right alongside the apostle Paul. And here's the reality. You too are a fellow soldier. We fight alongside each other. We serve right alongside each other. And you've probably heard the phrase, teamwork makes the dream work. Have you heard that before? No? All right. Okay, well, one person has. Great, thank you. Teamwork makes the dream work. You can't make, nothing happens because of just one person. It takes people. It takes people working together. It takes teamwork. Even in the game of golf, yes, you have one golfer, but what does he have? He has a caddy. You realize in the game of golf, most caddies are at least scratch golfers? You realize a lot of caddies could probably play professional golf? And what do they do? They help the golfer. They don't just carry the bag. They help him pick out clubs. They help him figure out wind. They help him read putts. It's teamwork. 
Teamwork makes the dream work. And you know what? Paul knew that. Paul knew that he had people that were right alongside him in the ministry, and he was thankful for that. He closes out verse 2, and to the church in thy house. It is also commonly believed that this church in Colossae was in Philemon's home. That's where they met. But I find it interesting that Paul writes a book to a friend, to Philemon. And this is what he says. He says, listen, Philemon, I'm writing this to you, but you know what? This book might be helpful to the church also. This wasn't just for Philemon. There are going to be a few things in this book that Paul knew would be a help to their church as well. And so he writes this book not just to Philemon, but he also writes it corporately to the church that is there in his home. So you have this epitaph or this memorial, this remembrance of teamwork. And then one more thing in verse 3, and we'll be done for tonight. In verse 3, I want you to see an extension of grace and peace. An extension of grace and peace. Notice verse 3, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I find it interesting, and I would love to find a book, and maybe I'll just have to come to a conclusion on my own, but I haven't really found too many concordances or Bible encyclopedias or biographies on the Apostle Paul that explain this, but if you were to go to every book that Paul wrote, you will find at the beginning of every one of Paul's books, he says, grace and peace to you. You go to Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.3, Ephesians 1.2, Philippians 1.2, Colossians 1.2, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1.2, 1 Timothy 1.2, 2 Timothy 1.2, Titus 1.4, and Philemon verse 3. And every time Paul says grace and peace to you. And I always wonder why. Paul, why do you start every, every book giving grace and peace to the readers. Why? Because it's, number one, it's not saving grace because these are already Christians. They're already saved. Number two, this isn't a peace that they, a peace that they need with God because once again, they're saved. The book of Romans tells us that if we're in Christ, we have peace with God. So that's not what he's talking about. So why does he always say grace and peace to you? And I would say maybe one reason would be because a lot of times Paul wrote hard things. Paul wrote things that were hard to swallow. Paul, I mean, think about the church at Corinth and the things Paul dealt with that honestly they were going to need some grace to deal with and to make choices about and to live. They were some hard things. But in every book, Paul extends grace and peace to the readers. And here in Philemon, it is no, it's no different. It's no different. So I want you guys to think about a couple things real quick. Number one, he extends grace. You realize you and I, every day, every moment, we need God's grace. We need, we need God's grace to live the life that he has called us to live. Now, what is grace? Well, grace is God's unearned or unmerited favor. Do you realize when you got saved, God, by his grace, saved you but now God gives you grace every day. That grace is God likes you. God favors you. God wants to help you. God wants to see you succeed. Now, I have three kids. 
and I love my kids, and I want to help my kids. But you know what the truth is? I help my kids more, and I help my kids differently than I help anybody else's kids. You know why? They're my kids. My kids, most of the time, have my grace or my favor. Listen, God loves and cares for his own, and he gives us the grace we need to do what it is he wants us to do. He gives us the grace. Um, he told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9 that his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter what the need is. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. God's grace is sufficient. It's not inefficient. It's sufficient. It's not deficient. It's sufficient. It's exactly what we need for the circumstance that we find ourselves in. It is sufficient. But not only that, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, Paul said that God's grace was exceeding abundant. Now listen, Paul could have just said God's grace is sufficient and left it at that. But you know what the reality is? God's grace is always more than we actually need. It's always more than we need. Now, I have said this before, and I, I feel like sometimes we throw out the word, the idea of grace, and we say, we need God's grace, and we just leave it there. But my question is always, how? How? How do I use God's grace? What do I do with grace? How does grace work? And listen, I, I always tell people, grace starts when you take a step of faith. When you take a step of faith, that's when God's grace steps in and helps you. But you have to take that step of faith. God isn't going to give you grace to get up and to start walking and to do what he's commanded you to do or asked you to do. You have to take that first step, and then God gives grace. Then God gives grace. So here he extends grace to these people, but not only grace, but he also extends peace. Now, do you like peace? I like peace. Do you like peace at home? I like peace at home. We like peace. We like peace. Philippians chapter 4 tells us that there's a peace that passeth all understanding. Like I said before, the book of Romans tells us that as a Christian, I have peace with God. There's no more condemnation. I have peace with God. But he's not talking about that kind of peace. Here, Paul is talking about the kind of peace we need in our hearts. The kind of peace we need to rest in the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this this morning, and pastor was preaching, and I was thinking about the verse he was preaching out of, uh, Psalm 37, verse number 7. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm 37, verse number 7. Psalm 37, 7. And I was, I was listening to him preach this this morning, and I'm reading this verse, and I'm thinking to myself, Psalm 37, 7 is peace. It's peace. It's how the peace of God works. If you look at Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, rest in the Lord. And then it says, and wait patiently for him. And then he says, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. The first part of peace is you have to make a choice to rest. You have to rest. You know what the problem is? is the problem is, is where do we rest? Notice here, David says, rest in the Lord. The problem is a lot of times we try to rest in ourselves. We try to rest in our own thinking. We try to rest in our own abilities. 
We try to rest in our friends. We try to rest in our job. We try to rest in our family. But the reality is this. You will only find real rest in God. It's the only place you'll find real rest. It's in the Lord. And when you rest, notice what he says next. Wait patiently for him. When you rest, where you rest is where you will wait. For example, if you're resting in yourself, then you're going to wait for yourself to come up with the conclusion. You're going to wait for yourself to fix the problem. You're going to wait for your family or your friends or your job or whatever it is. Where you rest is where you will wait. So what does he say? He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, peace is about resting in God and waiting for God to do something. It's not about bothering yourself and getting all worked up and trying to figure it out. It's about resting in him and waiting patiently for him. And then he finishes out the verse with fret not. Fret not. You know, the thing about peace is this. I don't know about you, but this is the way it works for me. Peace is not usually a one-time thing. You know why? Because usually I say, Lord, I need you to do something. And I, I try to rest in him, and then I, I try to wait on him. But then you know what happens? My brain starts working. My heart starts working. And then all of a sudden, I want to try to figure it out. And you know what I start doing? I start fretting. I start worrying. I start thinking too much. Then I have to say, whoa, whoa, wait. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me rest in you. Help me to wait on you. And you know what it is? It's a big cycle. It's a circle. And they just keep repeating. And you know what I think? I think that's the process of peace. The process of peace is constantly giving it back to God and saying, Lord, I rest in you and waiting for him to work. And then when you're tempted to fret again, we say, no, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I rest in you. Help me to wait on you. And then we wait and then we try not to fret. And then when we do fret, we ask God to forgive. And, and we just keep going through that same process. For whatever the situation might be. Peace. Peace. I want to give you an example. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter number 10. Go over to Luke 10 and look at verse 38. Luke 10, 38. The Bible says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now notice what the Bible tells us about Martha. Now Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his word. Verse 40 says, But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And notice how Jesus responds to Martha. And Jesus answered and said unto her, unto her Martha, Martha, notice this, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Notice what Jesus said about Martha in verse 41. She was careful and troubled about many things. It's interesting. The word careful is, means to be anxious. It means to worry. She was worrying about many things. But she wasn't just worried. She was worked up into it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so anxious or so worried that, that you couldn't calm down? You couldn't get your heart to stop pumping. You couldn't get your brain to stop talking to you and to stop whirling. Have you ever been so worried about something that it was like this raging storm was in your chest and in your heart and in your brain? 
That's exactly where Martha was. She was troubled. She was worried about many things. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, the peace of God, the peace of God is a peace that helps us in spite of our circumstance, in spite of our responsibilities, in spite of our our anxiety and our depression, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our disappointments, whatever it is, the peace of God is a calmness that we can have on the inside when we are resting in him. And that's what Paul wanted for these believers. He wanted them to have God's grace, God's help, God's assistance in their life, and he also wanted them to have God's peace as they served, as they worked, as they labored together. And you know what? God wants the same thing for you and I. God wants us to have his grace. He wants to take us to take advantage of his grace and use it to help us in our lives, and he also wants us to rest. He wants us to have peace. That's why he gave us 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You cannot, listen, you will never take advantage of God. You will never take advantage of God by resting in him. You'll never take advantage of him. Rest in the Lord. That peace, God wants us to take advantage of that grace and that peace. So two things tonight, the extension of grace and peace, and the epitaph of teamwork. I am thankful for the teamwork that we have at Platte Valley Baptist Church. We have amazing people. We have amazing people who pitch in in so many ways. And what an awesome thing that is. Teamwork. Teamwork. And then praise the Lord for his grace and his peace. Honestly, that gets us through each and every day. His grace and his peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you that we could be here tonight. I pray keep everybody safe as they go home. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take advantage of the grace that you've given us. And Lord, help us to rest in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here.
Hey, are you fixing? 